That is a classic movie. I mean, everybody has seen It's a Wonderful Life. It's been around since forever. Uh, they filmed it in 1946, I think. Um, it was filmed by a really famous director. Um, it had some really famous actors in it. Um, but the thing that's better about it than any of that, I like the music, I like the feel, there's a lot of cool stuff, but it's just a really amazing story. Right? I mean, that story has everything that every story needs. It's got a hero, it's got a villain, it's got a crisis, it's got family, it's got friends, it's even got romance. But I will tell you this, if you're a young man and you're trying to win over a woman with a song, you might go with something other than Buffalo Gals, Can't You Come Out Tonight. I just cannot think of a woman <laughs> that wants to be a Buffalo Gal. Um, Anyway, you guys know the story, but the gist of the story is that this guy, George Bailey, has these big dreams, right? He's a young guy, and he is going to go out and conquer the world. So he's going to travel everywhere, and he's got a giant suitcase with his name on it, and he's going to put stickers on it from all the place he visits, and he's going to go all over the world, and he's going to learn everything, get this amazing education. He's going to come back, and he's going to build bridges, and he's going to build buildings, and he's going to build cities, and he's going to make this huge mark on the world and make a fortune and just change the world, but then through a series of weird circumstances, George ends up spending his whole life in Bedford Falls, and he never goes out and travels the world, and he never gets to go to school, and he never gets to go out and build bridges or build buildings or build cities. He's stuck back home running the family business, and he, he never makes his mark on the world, and he never makes a fortune and does any of this stuff that he dreamed of doing. And so he ends up like really discouraged and depressed and, and, and desperate. In fact, he's thinking about suicide. Um, but he's saved by an angel in weird underwear um, <laughs> named Clarence. There it is. I mean, doesn't get any sexier than that. Um, so apparently, I'm not sure how this works. The Bible's not super clear on this, but apparently Clarence has to do a couple more good deeds so he can earn his wings. I think that is some kind of like an angel union rule or some sort of hazing. I don't know exactly what it is, but he's been trying to get his wings and become a class one angel for, I think they said 200 years. And so also for some reason, he's talking to Joseph the whole time. And I'm not really sure how Joseph plays into angels or what that's all about. Jo and Joseph is kind of grouchy. So I'm not sure of a lot of that stuff. Anyway, for some reason, Clarence um, is trying to help George. Um, and so he decides what he's going to do is he's going to earn his wings by helping George see um, that his life is worth living. And so one of the famous lines in the movie, he says, you see, George, you've really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it all away? So Clarence shows George what the world would be like if it had never been born. And then George sees all the great people in his life and he sees what an impact he's had on the world and suddenly his life goes from like really whack to really wonderful in I think it was 32 minutes. And it all happens on Christmas Eve. And in the end, you know, George doesn't kill himself and the family business is saved and Zuzu gets well and the bank examiner gets his money and George stays out of prison and everybody drinks eggnog and George's brother makes a toast to my big brother George, the richest man in town. And Ernie the cop plays the accordion and they all sing Old Anxine and Clarence gets his wings and it is just 
all good. And it turns out George Bailey really does have a wonderful life. And it, you know, that movie's done pretty good. It's stuck around for a while. Um, I think because it's like a really relatable story for people, because I think all of us have some hopes that haven't worked out. Probably all of us have some dreams that haven't come true. Probably all of us thought some things were going to go better than they ended up going for us. Um, Probably all of us have had circumstances come against us. And it almost seems sometimes like all the circumstances in your life are like conspiring to keep you from having a wonderful life. And I think people love this movie because it's relatable. We all feel like that. Everything's kind of trying to keep me from having a wonderful life. And I think we also love it because it gives us some hope. Right, because George Bailey, even though he had these really horrible circumstances, and he really still had a wonderful life, maybe I can have a wonderful life, even if I have some ugly, frustrating circumstances. And so I think one of the things that helps George kind of get there in this movie is when he really saw the people in his life, when he really saw the relationships in his life. Because until he met Clarence, George was kind of like, looking past the people in his life at this big, amazing world that he wanted to conquer, right? He was kind of looking through the people around him instead of really seeing them. And, 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 and once Clarence helped him to really see his family and really see his friends and the love that they had for him, it's like now George could see how wonderful his life really was. In fact, Clarence wrote him a note in the book and it said, no man is a failure who has friends. And so I have to say, of all of the movies we've talked about, and of this movie particularly, this part is kind of biblical. That's a new term we're coining today, kind of biblical, right? Um, Because having a wonderful life does um, require people. How about that? We can't can't have a wonderful life without people. That's that's part of being human. That's, That's part of the way we were wired from the very, very beginning. In fact, if you read the creation story in Genesis, you know, God created everything, right? And like every once in a while, he would like step back and look at what he had just created and the world was coming together and the world was coming to life. And once in a while, God would kind of step back and the Bible keeps saying, and God saw that it was good. So he separated the light from the darkness and he saw that it was good. And he created space between the land and the sky and he saw that that was good. And he made dry ground appear and he saw that that was good. And then it was plants, vegetables, trees, fruit, Good, 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 good. And the sun and the moon and the stars and the fish and the birds and the animals. Good, 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 good. And then he created man in his own image and he saw that it was very good. So there's a lot of good stuff going on on the first couple of pages of your Bible. But do you remember what was the first thing that God saw that was not good? Yeah, it's Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So it's kind of clear from like basically page one, we were created for relationships. We were were designed, We we were wired to need each other. We were built to need family and friends. And I think you're just never gonna have a wonderful life unless you can really see and really appreciate and really enjoy the people in your life and the importance of those relationships, and I think that is biblical, and not just on this one thing about creation, it's really all through the Bible. There's a lot of stuff woven in there about relationships and friendships and loving one another and all that. Um, Ecclesiastes 4 
So still way back in the Old Testament, a really, really, really old book. But it talks about like some of the practical benefits of friendship, um, some of the practical value. Here's what it says. Uh, this is Ecclesiastes 4.9. It says, two people are better off than one because they can help each other succeed. And if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But somebody who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So even way back in Ecclesiastes, the Bible is lining up for us some like practical reasons why God created us in this way, why God created us to, to want and to need relationship with each other so we can, what, help each other and comfort each other and protect each other. And then, you know, over in Proverbs, in Proverbs, there's lots of advice in Proverbs about how to pick good friends. There's a lot of great advice in Proverbs about how to be a good friend. And then forward into the New Testament, the book of Acts is all about that New Testament church. And I mean, they practically lived together, right? They did everything together. They worshiped together. They sang together. They took communion together. They ate together. They fellowshiped together. They prayed together. They changed the world together. So New Testament, Old Testament, Jesus. Jesus talked a lot about loving each other. Jesus said like the one thing I'm telling you to do is to love one another. In fact, Jesus said the defining characteristic, John 13, 35, the defining characteristic of a Jesus follower is not that we're moral or that we're hard workers or that we're good people. He said the defining characteristic of a Jesus follower is the way that we love each other. And so I, I think cover to cover. I really think that this is, this is pretty clear in the Bible that we were designed and created to love and to be loved by other people. And we were, we were built to do life together. And so since that's how we're designed, I think it's fair to say that our lives are never gonna really be wonderful until we really see the people around us. Like George, there are people all around us that we really need to see. I mean, like, like your family. You know, I, I, I think a lot of people are so hung up on seeing other people. You know, what do I think of those people and what do they think of me? And we're looking at what the world thinks about us and what people far away from us think about us. And I would just say, if you're a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad or a sister or a brother or a kid, listen, the most important people in your world are in your house. The most important people in your world are your family. And if you're gonna have a wonderful life, you need to see them. And you need to be, you need to appreciate them. And you might need to get like reacquainted with them. And even if you don't have actual like um, blood, kin, right? If you don't actually even have family, look around, man. There's, there's people all around you that need friends. And one of those people is you. You were created to need people. And if you're part of this church, man, we, that's important. You, you, you're not created to do this by yourself. We wanna help you get connected. This is why we talk all the time about joining life groups, right? So here's my official, here, I'm gonna say this as an, as officially as your pastor, okay? Wait. Okay, now it's official. You should be in a life group. You need to be part of a life group. This thing where we all come together and we sing together and we do the word together and we learn together and we grow, that's wonderful. Nobody loves Sunday morning more than I do. I love what we do on Sunday mornings. But you need more than that. 
You need real relationships. I mean, the, the people around you right now don't know what's going on at work, and they don't know what's going on with your family. When you get in a group of five, six, 10, 12 people, you can really share with each other. You can really help each other. You can be helped by the other people. You can learn together and grow together. That's the way Jesus modeled it for us. So listen, you should be in a life group. And if you're not in a life group, we can help you find a life group. In fact, Shane is sitting right here. <laughs> what a coincidence. Shane just happens to be sitting right here. Shane is our life groups director. So if you need help finding a life group, here's, it's really hard to remember his email address. Life groups at mycbcb, right? You just contact Shane and he will help you find a life group that's in the right area, that's the right time for you, and he will get you connected with a bunch of people that are fun, good, Jesus-loving, Christian, messed up people just like you, right? And if we don't have a group that's at the right time or the right location or whatever for you, then maybe you should start one. But you need to find a group. We wanna help you with that. It's just super important that you get involved in a life group. We, we were designed for relationships. God created us to need each other. And whatever whatever the circumstances, right? Because we're all gonna have the ups and downs, right? We're gonna have good circumstances and we're gonna have bad circumstances. Being a good person doesn't like exempt you from that. And if, you, if, if you've bought into this prosperity business that, well, if I'm a good person then Jesus is gonna give me everything I want, nothing's ever gonna go wrong with me, I would encourage you to try reading the Bible and see what it says about that. Because a lot of people that love Jesus the most suffered a lot and their lives weren't easy. There are bad circumstances in everyone's life. And it's gonna, I think if you're gonna have a wonderful life in spite of your circumstances, you're gonna really need to see the people in your life. And you know what else? You're gonna need to realize the purpose of your life. I think that's the other thing that happened for George. I think like his life went from horrible, 30 minutes, wonderful. Horrible to wonderful, and what happened is he saw what Bedford Falls would look like without him. I think something, I think he realized something that changed everything. And what he realized was that his life mattered. He realized that his life had purpose. He realized that he had like made a difference in the world, that he had actually impacted people, he had actually helped people, and it's interesting the way they laid out the movie, but they keep telling the stories over and over. And it's really interesting, this is all the people that George helped. So he helped his brother when he fell through the ice, right? He helped the drunk pharmacist. And there's two words you never wanna say together, right? <laughs> the drunk pharmacist, that's no bueno right there. But he, he helped the drunk pharmacist. He helped Mr. Martini get a home. Uh, he helped Violet when she was broke. He helped the town keep their building in loan. He helped Uncle Billy stay out of jail. He helped Clarence get his wings. He, he did things that mattered. He, he, he had purpose. He was a great family man. He, he was a good dad and a good husband and a good son and a good brother and a good friend. He did things that mattered. He protected the whole town from mean old Mr. Potter, right? He had purpose in his life. He did things that really mattered. And I think George's life was wonderful because George's life mattered. And he, his life had purpose. And so does yours. This is Ephesians 2.10, it says, for we are God's masterpiece. So just suck on that for a second. We are God's masterpiece. God is creating and recreating and designing and redesigning and perfecting and doing something beautiful. He's making us into something beautiful. We're God's masterpiece. Look what it says. He created us new in Christ Jesus. Why? So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. 
God created you with purpose. God created, God created you to do important things. God created you to do things that matter eternally. And your life is, is, is only gonna be really wonderful when you realize and are moving towards that purpose, the purpose that he created you for. Um, some of you know um, that we're building a house and so we're living at my daughter's house right now. So she's got like a little guest house in her backyard and that's where we're living right now. And it's awesome, they've been wonderful and we just, we love it. Um, and they got a new puppy, so that's a thing. How's that? So they got a puppy, the cutest dog you ever saw. It's um, Sheepadoodle, Sheepadoodle. So it's half poodle and half old English sheepdog. So it's the cutest dog you ever saw. And so the idea of hybriding the dogs, theoretically, is you get the good stuff from both, right? So it doesn't shed like a poodle. And then it whatever, like the other dog, right? And so as a sh this dog, from the time this dog is like tiny, I've tripped over this dog. Because she is right at your feet all the time. And she's like biting your, just biting and it's biting and yip, yip, yip. And she's there and she's there and she's there. And everywhere you walk, this dog is right on top of you, right in your feet, right in your feet, right in your feet. And so every time I walk from our house to their house, I got to walk right past a swimming pool and I'm carrying all this stuff and this stupid little dog's running in my feet and I'm going to, I'm going to break a hip or something, you know, this dog's going to trip me and I'm going to, I'm sure that's going to happen. What is that dog doing? She's hurting me and I'm afraid she's going to hurt me. She's, she's hurting me. And listen, she does other stuff. Like she barks, she digs, she sets, she fetches. She, she, she likes doing that stuff. But she is never going to be content. Right? She's never going to find true doggy fulfillment. Right? She's never going to have a wonderful life. She's never, she might have a life. Right, fetching, sitting, that's, that's good, right? Eating, getting your belly scratched, that's good stuff. But she's, that's a good life. But Jesus said he came to give us rich, satisfying, abundant life, right? She's never gonna have a wonderful life unless she's doing what she was created to do. And so, I guess I might be the first pastor to say this. We're like sheepdogs, right? We, we can do lots of different stuff but we're never really gonna be satisfied. We're never really gonna be content. We're never gonna feel fulfilled. We can have a good life, but we're never gonna have a wonderful life unless we're doing what we're really designed to do, unless we're really realizing and pursuing our real purpose. And so I'll just say, if you think your real purpose in this life is to have a great job or to become rich or popular, or to succeed in business or in the military or to go to a great school or to build amazing bridges or to lose 20 pounds or to break par at your favorite golf course, um, you might do those things and you might have a pretty good life. Then there's nothing wrong with those things. But if you think those things are your real purpose, I'm gonna tell you, you are never gonna have a wonderful life because those things don't satisfy there's always gonna be a better job. Right? There's gonna always be even more money to chase. There's always gonna be even a better bridge that you should have built. There's always gonna be another pound that you could have lost. There's always gonna be somebody richer. There's gonna be somebody younger. There's gonna be somebody thinner. There's gonna be somebody more popular. There's gonna be a lower golf score that you could have shot. There's gonna always be like this emptiness that comes because we're not really realizing our real purpose.
because you were created for so much more than that. You were created with a higher purpose than that. And if you want a wonderful life, you gotta realize the real purpose of your life. And that brings up a really important question, huh? What is the purpose of our lives? You know, what are we, that's like the eternal question, right? What are we doing here? What are we doing here? What is the purpose? If it's not making a living and getting a better car and losing weight and accomplishing goals and acquiring stuff, if that's not the purpose of our lives, then, then what, you know, what is it? As a, as a real life, modern day, New Testament, Jesus follower, what is the real purpose of your life? And the Bible really talks about this in at least a couple of different ways. Um, 1 Corinthians 12 is a really cool place. It talks about us as the body of Christ, and it describes that Jesus is the head, and we're all like the body parts. And so this is uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. It says, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. So here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. So these are some of the body parts, right? Apostles, prophets, teachers, people that do miracles, people that have the gift of healing, people that help, people that have the gift of leadership, those that speak in unknown languages. So the church, the church in this illustration is the body of Christ. And each one of us in the church is a finger or an eyebrow or a spleen or a kidney or a foot, or a kneecap, or something. And just like, and you have a specific role to fulfill. Just like those parts of you have specific jobs to do, you've got a specific, just like your ear has a specific job to perform in your body, you have a specific job to perform in the body of Christ. And that, to me, that's just a really interesting like illustration because you know Jesus came to earth in a human body, right? And Romans 8 tells us that that body was just like the body we sinners have. Same, same instrument, right? Same machine, same meat, same thing. He came in the same kind of body we have, but Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of Jesus lived inside the body of Jesus, right? And that empowered him to do the stuff that he came to do. And then when Jesus took his physical body back up to heaven, he called for us to take over his work as his body. So he was working in his physical body while he was here. When he took that body up there, then we became, we took the role of his body. We took the place of his body. And when he left, he sent the Holy Spirit back to live where? In us, right? So this is, this is pretty cool. He sent the Holy Spirit to live in us, his body. So now we have his same power in us as his body that he had in his physical body and we're supposed to function in his power as his body. So our purpose is not to get a better car or to lose more weight or to make more money or get a better house. Our purpose is to find our role in the church. Our purpose is to find our place in the body of Christ. So we have to ask ourselves, right? Are you an apostle? Are you a teacher? Are you a leader? Are you a helper? Are you an eyeball? Are you a kidney? Are you a spleen? You know, what, what, what are you? And we're supposed to work together as one unified body to continue the work that Jesus started in his physical body. You with me? Go like this if you're with me. Because if not, I'll start over. I don't care. <laughs> you with me on that? 
So Jesus came in a body empowered by the Holy Spirit. He took that body upstairs, and then we became that body, and he filled us with his Holy Spirit. So each one of us has a little part to play, just like your ear. Each one of us has a little part to play in what Jesus came to do. So now we've got to say, well, what did Jesus come to do? So the Bible lists a bunch of stuff. Here's a short list. Um, 1 Timothy 1.15 says Jesus came to save sinners. So listen, you have a part to play in that. You follow me? Jesus came to do it. You have a part to play in that. John 12, 46 says Jesus came to bring light to the world. You have a part to play in that. 1 John 3, 8 says Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. You have a part to play in that. Mark 10, 45 says Jesus came to serve others, not to be glorified, not to be lifted up, to wash stinky feet, to do the hard work of serving other people. And you have a part to play in that, Ephesians 2.14 says Jesus came to bring peace. You have a part to play in that. John 1.14 says Jesus came to reveal God's glory. You have a part to play in revealing God's glory. Luke 19.10 says Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. You have a job to do. You have a role in that. You have a responsibility in that. You have a part to play in that. John 10.10 said Jesus came to give life. Jesus came to be life-giving and you have a part to play in that. Luke 4, 18, Jesus said he came to proclaim the gospel to the poor, to proclaim healing to the broken, and to proclaim freedom to the oppressed. And you have a part to play in that. So one of the ways the Bible describes our purpose is with, I think, this really cool illustration that we're the body of Christ. And our purpose is to figure out our part in his purpose. Make sense? Okay. So the second way the Bible talks about our purpose, I think is fascinating. It talks about us as being high priests. Have you ever thought of yourself as being a high priest? What a weird, right? I mean, because when I think of a high priest, I'm just like you, like images happen, right? You say, this, say the word, high priest, and it's like, oh, okay, I know what that means. I, I know what's in my mind, and a lot of it has to do with those cool robes they wear, right? Because those are, yeah, those are cool. Um, and in a lot of church traditions, the priests still are, are wearing these, these robes, and I mean, they're cool, literally cool, literally cool. Um, I went to, I did a funeral one time, and, and the, the priest from, there's two of us doing it together, and the other guy was from a different church tradition than our church tradition, and so I'm wearing a suit, and this guy's wearing this, like, robe, and not, like, heavy, I mean, it was, like, light, cotton or something like gauze almost so we were outside it was about 400 degrees and this thing is just like blowing you know and I'm just sweat is pouring off of me you know and I look over at this guy and he's just as cool as a cucumber and I'm thinking to myself this guy's 25 degrees cooler than me you know I should dress like that so let me ask you guys are you is that is that okay you guys cool let me just, yeah. we'll vote, okay? We're nothing if not democratic. How many of you think it would be okay? Before you raise your hands, I won't be wearing anything underneath. Okay. Because the whole idea is to be cooler. Three. On the weekend. On the weekend. <laughs> Only in the summer. So listen, I'll work that out on my own because I don't care for the way that vote came out. So the democracy was good while it lasted. Um, here's, what's, here's what's even more important than my own personal comfort. This isn't talking about me. 
It's talking about us. It's talking about all of us. This is saying that each one of us is a high priest. Each one of us is a royal priest, an intermediary between God and the world around us. If you have time, read this, read this in Hebrews 4. Um, it says Jesus is our high priest. He's our high priest. He represents us to God. He represents God to us. That's what a high priest does, right? And now as we become his body, and now as we're empowered by his spirit, we're supposed to become the high priest to the world around us. This is 1 Peter 2. It's talking about how people get tripped up over Jesus because they don't follow his teachings, they don't obey him, so they get, they get messed up. Their lives get messed around. But look what it says. This is uh, 1 Peter 2, 9. It says, but you're not like that. You are a chosen people. Say this with me. You are a royal priest. You are a royal priest. You are a holy nation, God's own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God because he's called you out of darkness and into the wonderful life. So there you go. Part of your purpose is to serve as a royal priest. So like, what does that mean, right? What's the, what's the job description? Uh, what does a royal priest do? And it says right there, we show others the goodness of God. That's your purpose as a royal priest. Your job, your role is to show other people the goodness of God. So like practically, you know, I was thinking, well, so great, let's put skin on that, right? So what does that mean we do? How are we supposed to understand what he really meant by a royal priest? Because for me, I'm thinking royal priest means I get to wear the robe, right? And, and that, that can't be what he meant. So you know what we have to do? We have to think about what, what Peter meant when he wrote it, right? Not what, we, not what we mean when we read it. What did Peter mean when he, when he wrote it? And the people that he wrote it to, first century Jews, when he said high priest, what did they think of? Because it wasn't that robe that my friend wore that day. That's not what they thought about. What did they think about? What does a high priest do? What do, what do they see as the role and responsibilities and purpose of a priest? So I'll tell you a couple. I mean, their priests were worship leaders, for one thing. They read poems and told stories and sang songs about the goodness of God. That's one of the things that a high priest did. So that's, I guess, part of our responsibility, right? Um, they offered sacrifices. So what is that, you know? That's, that's taking something that's very valuable and saying, I'm gonna lay this down, right? This is, this is valuable, this is important to me, but not as important as honoring God, so I'm gonna lay this down before God. So Romans 12:1 says, we're supposed to lay down our lives not, not gold or silver or lambs or goats. We're supposed to lay down our lives as living sacrifices. And in that Hebrews 4 passage, is talking about what Jesus did as a high priest. That's a pretty good example that we should follow. And it says that the priest's purpose is to deal gently and kindly with the poor and with the broken and to be patient with the ignorant and with the weak and to serve others and pray for them in Jesus' name. So our purpose as royal priests. Our real purpose in this life is to sing and write and tell people about God's goodness, lay down our lives as living sacrifice, giving up everything for him, and love the poor, the broken, the ignorant, and the weak, which I think covers everybody, right? And serve people. And pray. That's your purpose. That's my purpose. That's, that's our purpose. Some people say, well, you know, great, I'm a Christian, I don't have to go to hell, so that's good, but what am I supposed to do? You know, what, how am I supposed to live? What's my life supposed to look like? What, what is my purpose? And that is a really important question because I'm telling you, you will never have a wonderful life until you realize and pursue your true, real purpose. But the Bible kind of lays it out for us. 
And number one, your purpose is to find your role in the body of Christ, to find your role in the church, and in that role, in the power of the Spirit, to help the church continue the work of Jesus. And then number two, to take your rightful place as a high priest, which is singing and writing and telling people about the goodness of God and laying down your life as a sacrifice as you love and serve and pray for poor, broken, ignorant, weak people. And listen, God has had this calling for you. God has had this, this purpose for you. God has had this, this exact plan for your life since before time. And you are not going to be fulfilled and content and, 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 and satisfied until you step into that plan. And here's the trick, is because like Satan gives us these little counterfeits, right? We get these little things that are not that bad and we take, some of the old expression is that good is the enemy of great, right? So we get a little bit of good and we get settled for that. Your life can be pretty good, right? Because we're rich. We got that going, all of us are rich. I mean, compared to the world, right? We're all rich. So you can have a pretty good life. If you're rich and you're reasonably healthy and I don't know, good looking, if you got a car that runs, if you got a place to sleep, you can have a, if you, you know, get to play golf every once in a while, right? If you, you, if you acquire some cool stuff, if you're sort of popular, if you're a little bit successful or whatever, you can, you can if you're a like casual consumer churchgoer, you can, you got a pretty good life. But Jesus said he came to give us something way better than that. He came to give us rich life, satisfying life, abundant life. You can have a pretty good life, but you're never gonna have a wonderful life until you really realize your real purpose. So, if you want your life, like George's, to go from whack to wonderful, um, Clarence's secret recipe is that you would really see the people in your life and that you would really recognize and realize the real purpose of your life. And that, that worked for George. And more importantly, I guess, it's kind of biblical. Um, so there it is. Who would have thunk it? Um, there is some biblical truth in It's a Wonderful Life. But I'm gonna tell you, I do have at least one beef with this movie from a biblical perspective. Um, George has this amazing encounter with this spiritual being, right? And that changes his perspective, right? And that helps him really see the people in his life and it really helps him realize the purpose in his life. And Clarence saves George, right? Clarence gives George new life. And the problem is there's only one that can do that, right? There's, there's only one that loves you so completely that he can empower you to really love other people. There's only one that can really give your life purpose. There's only one that can really help you realize the purpose of your life. There's only one that can really save. There's only one that can really give new life. And it's not Clarence, it's Jesus. So here's what I would say to you. If, if you've not had an encounter with Jesus the way George had an encounter with Clarence, if you have not had a moment when all of a sudden like the lights come on and I just realize what my life is really, really, really about, 
If you haven't had this experience with Jesus that changes your life and your future and your eternity, then you should have it. We should get that figured out before Christmas, like today. So here's what I'm gonna encourage you to do. If you've never had an experience where you've really think, I've encountered, I've really not read about him, heard about him, whatever, I've encountered Jesus. I now have a relationship moving forward with him. If you can't say that for sure, I'm gonna be like hanging around out in the lobby after church today, and if you just track me down, it took George like, I think it was 32 minutes for his life to turn around, and yours can turn around in about three minutes. So if, if you don't know that you've had a real life-changing, eternity-changing experience with Jesus, if you'll just come flag me down in the lobby, then I'll introduce the two of you, and I think you're gonna like him. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for, we know that your Bible says, your word tells us that you are in all things, and so even these crazy movies, we can see you if we're looking, and so thank you for these movies, and God, I just thank you because you've given us life. Jesus, you said you came to give us rich, satisfying, abundant, wonderful life, so thank you for giving us life, and thank you for the people that you've put in our world. And I just, I just pray that you would open our eyes to who they are and what they need and how we can interact with them in a way that honors you and blesses us and blesses them. And God, I just thank you for the purpose that you've given us in our life. It's an incredible thing for me to think that you've called every single one of us to be part of your plan that started before time. That you've you could have done it without us, but you chose to include us. So thank you for giving us that purpose. And I'm just gonna ask you now, Lord, will you just begin more and more to clarify for us and reveal to us what our role is and specifically what is our purpose? As we do this thing, Lord, I just thank you because I know where that leads. It leads to wonderful life. It leads to the life that you came to give us. So Lord, we thank you above all things for Jesus because he's the reason our life is wonderful. He's our only hope for eternal life. In his name we pray, amen. Okay, a couple things real quick. One, if you're visiting, I would sure like to know that you were here today and I would just love to give you a call later in the week. So when you walk out of here, in the middle of the lobby, there's a little kiosk there that says like first timers or, or visitors or something. Stop in there. They got us a quick gift for you and they'll just get some contact information. I would just love to give you a call this week. And then the next thing is um, hark. Remember we learned about that word? Hark, it means listen up. Listen up, hark people. This is an important thing I need to tell you. Next week's, in-person weekend services are happening on Friday night. So we're gonna have our Christmas Eve services in person, in skin, in this room on Friday night. And then Sunday morning, the 26th, the day after Christmas, we're gonna have a quick online service, not an in-person service. So I've said this about like 12 dozen times and I'm still pretty sure that I'm gonna be getting some phone calls from people in the porch on Sunday morning. What the heck? Right, so let's review. <laughs> Friday night, we're gonna to come together in person in this room and we're gonna bring people with us and we're gonna celebrate Jesus together in person on Friday. Friday night. This is the advanced class. And then online at mycbcb.com all day, whatever time is convenient for you, you can go online Sunday morning. So Sunday morning service is not in person, it's online. Friday night services are actually Oh man, you guys are just awesome. So much, so much better than the early service. What a bunch of yahoos, man. Um, 
Okay, one last thing. So that, we're expecting some you know, new people and different people and stuff to come on that night where hopefully that's gonna be kind of an important um, service for a lot of people. And so we need your help. We're looking for places to find our purpose and all that stuff. One place we need help is with kids ministry. So that night, we'd, if you can come to one service, and the services are only gonna be like 45 minutes long. So if you could come to one service and serve in kids men in another service, that would be super, super helpful. So on your way out there, you can just stop by the kids ministry. They got a table there. You can sign up and let them know which service you wanna help in, and uh, that will be able to just introduce a little, couple more people to Jesus. Amen? Amen? Okay, that's it for me. God bless you guys. Merry Christmas.